Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. For 40 years, a sculptor, MJ Anderson, has been going from her home in Oregon to Carrara in Italy. That's where she gets her marble. That's where Michelangelo got his more than 500 years ago. Anderson uses that marble along with onyx and travertine to make all kinds of sculptures, abstract pieces that evoke elemental powers, liturgical pieces for churches, public art. But over and over, she has turned to figurative work. The major theme running through my career is the female torso, she wrote about a recent exhibition, the distillation of what it feels like to be woman. When I first began to carve stone, I realized I wanted to give voice to my gender. MJ Anderson, welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you, Dave. Why marble? Marble lasts. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't do very well with things that can be erased. And so carving marble means I'm always moving forward. There's no looking back. And so uh, I, I don't glue things back on if they fall off. I can just keep moving forward. And that that's really helpful to me as a person. And uh, if I'm going to make something, an, an artist wants to make their mark. And if I make my mark, I want it to last. And marble gives that to me. It lasts for thousands of years, right? Thousands of years before I touch it, and hopefully thousands of years after. It's one of the most awe-inspiring things to, when, as I've been thinking about the work you do. I mean, unlike almost everything else in life, everything else that, that, that we make, I suppose like a steel girder is, is going to last for a very long time. But, but I don't think of that as, as an expression really of, of someone's soul. It's, it, it, it keeps a building up. A painting is going to molder. All the digital stuff on our lives, it, it becomes sometimes irretrievable in, in 10 years, if you can even find the core to turn the thing back on. How do you think about time? I, th I think geological huh. time is. Um, I studied geology in college at Portland State, and I like everything about um, the planet itself. And marble, uh, some of you may not know, but marble was once alive. And it's a distillation of uh, coral reefs and animals who lived in the sea billions of years ago. And so all of that, um, that product that was once alive is highly condensed, highly um, heated up and, and shoved up into mountains. To me, it's a miracle. Hmm. So I'm carving something that was actually once alive. And you're aware of that in the moment? Yeah. I mean, it's, all, it's always there for me. And um, it, it's, it's like my religion. Marble is like my religion in a way. Huh. What does it feel like or sound like when you're carving it or, or smell like when you're cutting it? Well, it, it sounds very serious, art making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you. <laughs> no, it, it, um, I mean, I do and I don't, I it, should say. The nice thing is it keeps me in the present and I can use um, 
a lot of different kinds of tools. But um, there is a marble uh, from Carrara that's called Bardiglio, and it's a gray marble. And it was my first true love of a material because I think it evoked the the kind of colors of the Northwest, that kind of gray. Um, and it goes well outdoors, which is nice. Um, but when you I carve that in Bardiglio, you, there's a smell it has. Hmm. So I'm smelling something that was once alive. So it really does it really does enliven all my senses. And you can smell its aliveness. Well, I personally can. <laughs> yeah, but I think maybe other people think, oh, it's a rock. But when you have a passion for rocks, people who have a passion for rocks know what that passion is. Hmm. As I noted, for, for 40 years now, you, you've been going to Carrara, started and then it turned into a, just your life, going every year to get stones and also to, to do work before you eventually bring it back for, for finishing here. What's special about Carrara? Um, especially in the early years, there was a really wonderful community of artists from all over the world. Um, and Meaning the 1980s for you, the early years, because not, not 1502 or something. Right, right. <laughs> uh, in the 80s, there were a lot of artists working there. Um, there's fewer now that work there. But um, th- that we didn't really talk about our work to each other that much, but we were all equally exhausted. We were all equally poor. Hmm. Um and, and that was a really wonderful setting to be in. And when I do go back to Carrara and I work in the studio, I go to work like it's a job. You know, I, I leave the house. I try to leave the house by 8 or 8.30. I bicycle up the mountain. I get my little – a lot of people think my bike is, is a hybrid bike, electric bike, but it's not. And so I bike to work. There's no shame in e-bike. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, oh, yeah, but maybe but someday. You, okay. Um, but I, I bike up to work, and um, and everybody else, the the Artajani that work in that studio as laborers creating um, large public art for other artists, everyone's working, and that that buzz, that noise, that energy. I'm just I'm just another one of the workers, but I get to do my own work. So I'm very fortunate to be able to work there. What's special about the marble there? I mean, why do you have to go all the way to Italy to get that rock? Well, I could go to Vermont, but the food is much better in, in <laughs> Italy. Um, when I was a very small child, uh, uh, we were lucky to have French and Italian classes. Um, and... When I was a small child, I wanted to grow up and live in Italy. Hmm. And I actually get to live my dream. Hmm. So um, I, I'm, I get to have a double life, and that suits also who I am. What are the quarries like there? I mean, do you go and say, I, in Italian, I want a block yay big? <laughs> when I have a commission, uh, a large commission, I will go into the quarries and look for the right block. And it's like going into cathedrals because you have these large walls cut out of the mountain. I mean, it's really a brutal process. It's, it's a mining process. And um, as someone accused me of, of you know, raping the mountains with mm-hmm. my artwork. Well, the art... 
the the marble used for art is so infinitesimal. Um, most of that marble in Carrara, it's the best marble in the world. Um, the, the crystalline structure is uh, the best in the world. And if if I'm going to do all this work, why wouldn't I use the best material? So um, when I go into the quarry, there's all these giant machines, these tall ladders that are you know wired next to these walls of marble and it's there's there's just such an energy there uh but in reality most of the marble that's being quarried is quarried for the calcium in your cat food the calcium in your orange juice the calcium that you take every morning wait literally 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 the best marble in the world that that could be used for big beautiful things or small beautiful things that that could last forever it's being ground up and put in cat food well, and in, in, in the table that we're sitting next to, in the carpet underneath our feet. It's used as it, calcium. Calcium as, carbonate. Huh. And so... And there isn't a better way to get that? Well, whenever I guess large the global indus- capitalist society has decided that there is not a better way to get you. it. Thank you. That's correct. <laughs> I guess exactly for saying that right. Huh. Um, so, to, so you said that if when you have a, a big commission, that that's when you might go to the quarry. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say that so uh, a library says we want a, an, a seven foot tall sculpture, mm-hmm. and and you have a, a picture in your mind of what it's going to be. Or I mean, because I'm wondering if I went to go look at at this big mining operation, I assume I would just see what might look like pretty rocks and big faces and parts that had been carved out and parts that hadn't yet been carved. But I'm just wondering how you look at that and see what you're going to make. Well, it, it really correlates. Um, imagine when I had a client, uh, Seattle University, wanted me to do an eight-foot piece for their law library. And, and they were very specific. They wanted the absolute best marble. So I said to them... Nothing but the best for us. What is the, what is the best wine? So selecting marble is a lot like selecting grapes for wine. Um, and I'm a little bit like a vintner, imagine. So I know the differences between different, what different quarries offer, just like someone knows which different grapes will help make the better balance. So I, I know which quarries have which kinds of stone... And then at the end, it's basically a crapshoot that once you cut that stone open, you're not so sure what really is going to be inside. There may be there may be a darker vein that you did not see from the outside of that block. Isn't that part of the excitement, though, for you it as is. an artist? Absolutely. I mean, the whole idea of what I want the best marble, it seems like an absurdity. Right. And I, I actually... Um, like stone that has a little character and and bring something to the table uh, with it. I always like to incorporate some of the rocky, rock, rock, natural skin of the stone in my work when I can. Meaning you want to leave some of it unpolished. Uncarved. Uncarved. You know, the, Why? Where, there's a nat, where there's a natural skin. Um, I did a large, um, very sturdy mermaid one time, but the whole back of that stone had probably 800 years of water markings on the back of that stone that was exposed. 
geologically, that is just a fabulous surface. Mm. So I didn't want to destroy that surface to make my work, so I needed to design a sculpture where that surface was celebrated, for example. And it, it just happened that you were making a mermaid, so so those watermarks... Well, seemed, I decided it, it, to make a mermaid because, of course, it was oh, watermarks. I had, and, the, I had the other way around. Okay, yeah. so, so the rock can tell you what it should be. Well, almost every, almost every one of my sculptures tells me. I don't tell it. Huh. Um, the stone itself inspires who it wants to become in a dialogue with me. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with the Oregon and Italy-based sculptor MJ Anderson. You can see a lot of her work right now at the Imogen Gallery in Astoria for another month or two. So as I noted, my understanding is that after you do some work in Carrara, um, you'll normally do the, the fine work and the finishing in your organ studio, which for a while has been in Nehalem. Why Nehalem? When I started carving, um, you know, it's a lot of noise in a neighborhood. And so working in a small town is a lot easier to make noise. And Nehalem isn't really as much of a tourist town as next door Manzanita. Um, and so they're used to me now. And I don't work, I don't make, I try not to make too much noise, you know, too early or too late. And um, I've I'm gone to Italy part of the time. They're always happy to see me go. I think so. It's, um, it's a working town. That's that's part of more why of a, it works. It for is you. a little more of a working town. And I mean, it's know, also beautiful. I mean, there's a river there. You're essentially on the coast. I can hear eagles while I'm working, which is fabulous. But Portland is is ten degrees hotter in the summer and ten degrees colder in the winter, at least. And I work outside year round. I don't have a luxury of a heated studio. Do you work outside because it's better for you or because I mean, wh- Because why? I'm making dust. I may I'm I'm fertilizing nature with calcium carbonate. Huh. So when I'm carving the stone, the dust has to go somewhere. So most sculptors all work outside over, with uh, a otherwise roof overhead. You'd, you'd be breathing in too much? Um it, I'd be just standing in a cloud of dust in a room. Hmm. So, unless it's a very large room. So, you, you live in a more temperate climate, so yeah. you can work in a more temperate yes. climate. yeah. So, you're working outside in February. Yes, thank you. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Is it an accident, then, that, that both of your studios, your workplaces, are near an ocean or a sea. I mean, it, what you just described is a kind of, is a climate reason for that. But I'm wondering if there's a deeper reason that, that you want to be near the water. Uh, my soul is happier near the water, certainly. And Nehalem is a fabulous place because it it um, Nehalem is an in, a Native American word, and the Native Americans live there. And it's in a tr- fabulous little triangle between the river, the bay, and the ocean. How more fabulous can that be? Hmm. How does that affect the work that you want to do? I th- I'm working with uh, Gonix now, uh, which comes from Iran and Pakistan, and uh, Carrara being the clearinghouse of all stone in the world, I can get it there in Italy, but it has a translucence to it, and I'm playing up that translucence. So the light of, of being on the coast really is very helpful for that. I noted in my intro that, that you have said that, that over and over you have been drawn to to female torsos and to express your understanding of 
of what it means to be woman. Uh, I was even, I, I wanted to make sure that I even got that grammar correct uh, b before we started. What do you mean by that phrase, what, what it means to be woman? My gender is a political statement. And in the 70s, when we thought feminism was a, um, was, you know, we, we triumphed, that certainly has not come to pass. So the same feelings and concepts I'm dealing with, I'm still then I'm still dealing with now, even more so, and w maybe with a stronger voice. And in the early years, I began carving uh, the torso as autobiography, um, as victim, um, as uh, as as female that needed to survive. And that's still kind of, un, it, the survival thing has really tr uh, expanded. And I did a lot of torsos having to do with breast cancer. And now when I carve a torso and if it's missing a chunk out of a breast, it was never there maybe. Um, I don't even see it when I carve it now because it's so much a part of my, my life palette, hmm. shall we say. And so, um, I don't, I don't present the female as an alluring object. I use kind of a frontal stance, much like the Egyptians did. Um, I, don't, I don't want my figures to perform for anybody. They should be enough in their own right, just Any like women should be. To, to not perform for men. In particular, yes. And, and not only sexually, but in, in every way in society, I, th I still feel that women are ex have expect unnecessary expectations put upon them to perform in any number of roles that are not necessary. And so uh, I think even if I do th uh, thin torsos, chubby torsos, old-looking figures, all of those figures still have a, a real um, sense of stability and they're immobile as far mm. as you not being able to um, they exist in their own right do you work for models N no I not, don't. neither human ones nor nor small uh, works that, that you will then make larger so it's all in your mind and in your hands well, I, I do have a degree in sculpture, and I, I, well, I studied I, the figure more than <laughs> than anybody has a right to. Uh, when I was in college for seven years, you know, I I studied the female uh, and male uh, torsos, and I I've taught sculpture, uh, but it's it's really in the stone and in my soul to arrive at those finished forms. I'm not carving a real figure, I'm carving an idea. Hmm. What's the difference between those two? Um, well, one time this small child was fascinated by my work he saw in a public area, and he really was bothering his, his relatives a lot about my work. And so they asked if he, they could bring him to the studio. And he, he arrived, and at some point he said, Ma'am, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful or nothing, but why don't they have heads? It's and a I, good question. And I looked down at myself, and I said, I don't see a head. <laughs> and, um, and when I look down at myself, I don't see my nude self. I don't see my dressed self. I just see myself. 
And that's that's more of an idea than just a visual representation. And just like a, a poet, a poem is more than just a com- compilation of different words. So my sculpture is similar in that way. I think it's a profound idea, and I I, I had never <clears throat> never thought of it quite that way. That because I I have looked at the torsos, and I guess I have thought of them as as nude torsos. But the way you describe it, what you're going for is is something different. Not not nude, and also not clothed. Just the the essence of a, of a being. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. I want to go back to something you said at the beginning about marble, which which I think isn't simply about marble. It's about sculpture in rock, which is um, that that you can't you didn't want to work in something where you could erase something. Um, there are no takebacks in this. It's it's what strikes me as one of the more terrifying aspects of the work you do. You, there's no, I mean, digitally we can do Control Z or Apple Z to undo something. Painters can paint over things. In a lot of life, not all of it, but in a lot of life, you can get a redo. If you chisel something and it fall, it falls off, and it's not quite what you wanted. I mean, you're stuck with it, right? I've never really stuck with it. It just is going to become something else. Maybe not this week, maybe not next year, but in time, one day I'll walk into the studio and see a piece that has been sitting there unfinished for eight years, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a there's a rainbow, there's light at the end of the tunnel, there's a vision, and I go, okay, now I know what to do. And I can fix that and not fix it, but make it be someone else or cut the top off, turn it upside down and start over. Huh. But so, but I mean, the framing I had in my mind, and I think that I still have, is that there's something scary about that. Um, but it seems like you embrace that, the, the no take backs of your work. And, and for you, it's actually something that you value about your craft. It is. It is. It's exciting. Um, in the early years, every once in a while, I'd be carving and hit a place, and the whole thing would crack in half. <sighs> and and there's kind of an excitement when that happens. Um, it's like I, I I think I mentioned to your producer, it's like a it's like a good car accident. A good car accident. If you're in the middle of it, there's nothing, and there's nothing you can do. You might as well just lay back and enjoy it. Um, because who knows, this could be your last moment. And that should be a beautiful moment then. I'm, I'm struggling with the, with the adjective good in front of car accident. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I understand your point, um, but it is, uh, it's a lot to take in. It's like the beauty in chaos, you know. Um, so do you think that, that the work that you do, and the realities of that one, even not false, I guess even that's not what you're saying, but but one um, hit of the chisel could make something fall apart. Do you think that affects the way you live your life outside the studio? I do. And one of the things I've noticed, um, I work with Northwest Stone Sculptors Association, and we all, it's about 150 people, um, and I we all get along really well. We're from all different aspects of life. But what I think making sculpture has taught me and all of us is that when when you look at a three-dimensional object you have you you have all these different views of it from above from below from one side looks better than another side and you're more forgiving Hmm. um and you're more forgiving of each other 
And I think that sculpt that sculpture and how I look at sculpture has has changed how I live my life and how I relate to other people. MJ Anderson, it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Great to be here. MJ Anderson is a sculptor who divides her time between Nehalem and Carrara, Italy, which is the world epicenter of marble and other stone trading as well. You can see a lot of her work right now at the Imogen Gallery in Astoria for another month or two. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to head to Portland City Hall to talk with Mayor Ted Wheeler. We're going to get an update on his vision for the city and his approach to its most pressing problems, including homelessness and public safety. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. Think Out Loud and OPB's critical reporting from all across the Northwest happen only with the support of our members. Do your part now and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.